encouraging. If you have your Bible tonight, the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, we're looking tonight in the 10th chapter, Nehemiah chapter number 10. I want to read one verse of scripture, Nehemiah chapter 10. I'll ask if you will stand to your feet. Last verse in the chapter, Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse number 39. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the corn, of the new wine, and of the oil unto the chambers where are the vessels of the sanctuary and the priests that minister and the porters and the singers. And we will not forsake the house of our God. I want to preach on that thought. Do not forsake the house of God. Amen. Father, thank you for the word. Would you help us not to preach in the power and demonstration of the Spirit of God. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would give us that unction. Give us ears to hear, I pray, in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. You remember well the story of Nehemiah, how that Babylon had came and had taken the people of God captive, broke down the walls, burnt the gates with fire, and destroyed just everything in their path. For 70 years, the children of Israel were in bondage and captivity, and this was because of their very own sins. And after 70 years, the Medes and the Persians invaded Babylon and King Cyrus now rules. And he says to the Jews, the two million of them, you can go home. 49,000 of two million decided to go home. And Ezra and Zechariah and, and other prophets would stand and preach. Haggai would stand and preach. And finally they built the house of God. But still the wall around Jerusalem was broken down. And the gates were burned with fire. And Nehemiah serving in Shushan the palace under King Artaxerxes, as the cupbearer, he saw some men coming from Jerusalem. He inquired, how are things back at home? And they said, it's awful. I mean, the people of God are discouraged. Things are not looking good. Walls are broken down in their lives, and the gates are burned with fire. The freedom, the ability to come and go, the enemy has their own way now. Oh, it's awful. And I believe Nehemiah's chin began to quiver and hot tears began to well up in his eyes. And he began to pray and he began to mourn and he began to fast and seek the face of God. And God said, Nehemiah, I want you to lead a, a, a group of people to rebuild those walls around the city. And Nehemiah went before the king Artaxerxes and the king said, why are you sad? You're not sick. He said, because my people are in waste. My people are in despair. And he says, what do you need? And Nehemiah says, well, I'm asking for permission to go. I'm asking for protection that the king would put guards around me and I need provisions to go. We have nothing to rebuild the walls with. And the king, thank God the king of kings we serve, granted everything that they need to go and rebuild the walls. I'm telling you, when Nehemiah got there, the horse that he rode on couldn't even get around the walls because the ruins and the decay and the rubbish was so vast. I say tonight in the generation, 
in which we live. The walls are destroyed and broken down. The gates are burned with fire. There's one thing that I know that's still pure today, and that is the Word of God. Amen. And so Nehemiah encouraged the people, and there was opposition. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arabians, they opposed. I'm telling you, they, they caused all kind of ridicule and mockery and mayhem. Satan's schemes were just pushing, pushing, pressing all upon them. And the people of God, halfway through, got so discouraged, they thought, we don't have enough strength to continue to do this. We're going to quit. Have you ever felt like quitting? Have you ever felt like just turning your back, walking away, and doing something different? But Nehemiah began to pray and seek the face of God. And God said, I'll bless you. Continue all with me just a little while, children. And they got that wall built, amen. And now the walls are built in Jerusalem. And the gates have been repaired and they're reset. And you think everything is good, but it's not the walls that are so important. It's what goes on inside the walls that's important, amen. It's good for us to have a church building here, thank God for it, but it's what goes on inside the walls that's going to make the difference, amen. And so Nehemiah encouraged the people uh, to hear Ezra, the man of God, stand and preach. For six hours he read the word of God, a six-hour revival service, amen, and the power of God began to sweep and move all over the people. We come to chapter number 10, and you see that we just read from, we come to chapter 10, and the people of God are being encouraged. There's a revival fire being lit. And I'm going to tell you, Nehemiah encourages the people of God, whatever you do, no matter how hard it gets from this point on, you need to make a commitment. Oh, there's that dirty word again, commitment. You need to make a commitment that we will not forsake the house of our God. Three things I want to say about it tonight and I'll be done. Number one, if we're not going to forsake the house of God, there first must be a personal examination. Preacher Darren, what do you mean? I mean you have to have an examination of your very own life. How do you do it? Well, if I look back in chapter number nine and I begin to see that the people of God, they begin, to, the Bible says in verse number one, uh, that they began to fast in chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, they put sackcloth upon them. They, they put earth, they put dirt upon top of their heads. May I, preacher Darren, are you expecting me to put dirt on my head? Well, I think that'd be a good look for you. You expecting me to fast? I think it'd do you some good, amen. You are really expecting me to pray? I don't think it hurts you a bit, amen. And by humbling themselves before God with dirt on top of themselves, fasting in sackcloth to show that they're humiliated before God, God began to move in their ranks. I think one thing that's wrong with our churches is we sit here tonight filled with pride. We're haughty with our three-piece suits, we're unbroken and we've got an unbent spirit. God said a broken and a contrite spirit, oh God, I will not despise, amen. So they humiliated themselves. And then I look in verse 2, I see a time of separation. The seed of Israel separated themselves from all the strangers. They stood and confessed their sins 
and the iniquity of their fathers. What does that mean? They separate themselves from the strangers. It means they got alone. The people of God got alone by themselves and they forsook the world. They stepped away from the world and the things of the world. The Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. I'm afraid that tonight the church is becoming more worldly and the world is becoming more churchy. Not only did they have a time of humiliation and a time of separation, look, there's a time of confession. They confess their sins to the Lord. You may say, Preacher Darren, I don't have any sins to confess. Hey, the book of Acts says that all men everywhere ought to repent. All men, that means saved men need to repent. Unsaved men need to repent. We need to confess our sins. Oh, me. I sin every day, sins of my mind, sins of my ears, sins of my lips, sins of my eyes, sins every day we sin. Oh, preacher, then you're not fit to be up there. I would remind you, you are correct. And you're not worthy to be in here either, amen? I began to think, I wrote this down. If, 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 ask yourself this question. If every member was just like me, what kind of church would Bethel be? Got quiet when I said that, didn't it? If everybody sang in the song service tonight like you participated, if everybody prayed in the invitation like you participate, if everybody gives like you give, if everybody invites people the way you invite people, if everybody studies the Word the way you study the Word, if everybody would witness the way you witness, what kind of church would Bethel be? A time of confession. May I just say that we need to examine ourselves. We're not all we're cracked up to be. We have a duty, I believe, then to our church. Did you know it is your duty to attend church? Online services, while they're good, were never meant to be a substitute for church attendance. We use online services as an outreach for those that are unsaved to reach those who are sick or those that are shut in to be a blessing to them. Hold your place here. And I read to you in, in chapter 10, verse 39 about not forsaking the house of the Lord. But you know that's also found in the New Testament. Can you, Some of you Bible scholars, do you know where it's at? Chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10. Look with me in verse 25. It's Preacher Darren, you're preaching Old Testament. Now, I'm, I'm not for the Old Testament, okay? Well, let's go to the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. That means encouraging each other. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. The closer we get to the return of the Lord Jesus, the more we ought to be in the house of God. I am convinced that there are people that come to church three times when they're hatched, when they're matched, and when they're dispatched. You'll think about that in a minute, amen. Matthew chapter 18 verse 20 says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. There is no, absolutely no substitute 
for church attendance whatsoever. We ought to be faithful, and faithfulness is not just relevant. It ought to be regular faithfulness. There are some people that come every Easter. They'll tell you they're faithful to Bethel Church because they come every Easter. Right? One out of 52 times, that's considered to them to be faithful. But I don't think that God is, is approving my actions if I come one out of 52 weeks. Amen. I'm telling you, He wants us to be faithful in reading, faithful in praying, faithful in studying, faithful in our attendance at the house of God. I think you ought to attend church. You know what else? I think you ought to defend church. It's not only your job to attend, but it's your job to defend it. Preacher Darren, I'm not going to defend it. That's God's job. Let me say that tonight. The churches in America are under bombardment. The artillery of hell has been leveled at the local church to try to discourage the pastor and discourage the people to where we cannot meet together. We are finding a generation. You know what I'm talking about tonight? You have been twice born. We're a generation of twice-born people living in a generation, a world of once-born people. And it seems as if we're now against the tide. When I was just a boy growing up, it seemed like so many people were saved. Churches were filled everywhere we went. People standing, pulling out chairs, trying to get in. But now the reverse has happened. People, empty pews are just about everywhere. Lord God, I, it just kills me to look and see empty pews in our churches. It breaks my heart. And the more, the, the later we get in the days, the more the church is under attack and you need to defend your church. And one way you defend your church is by attending your church. I also want to say you ought to extend your church. Jesus said, go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. It's our job to go out and bring others in, amen. I'll ask you a question. Have you ever led or won a soul to Christ? I had a man tell me one time, says, you don't win souls. My Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise. Evidently, he's not been reading. He just confessed, Amen. Have you ever won a soul to Jesus Christ? Do you invite people to come to church on Sunday? Or you do you just come here, sit down, and think you've done God a favor? It's got quiet on me three times a night since I first got in the pulpit, and I don't know why. We need to be extending the church to reach out and draw others and compel them to come in. I'm afraid we live in a generation that just assumes everybody's already attended church. I'll never forget one time there was a, a family that came to me from another church. They was a deacon and a deacon's wife and they brought a whole row of a family, a man and his wife and about four or five kids, brought them all to our church and said, this is the such and such family. I want you to know, Preacher Darren, uh, I want, I, when I met them, they were at school. They don't have a Bible. They've never been to church ever. I couldn't believe it. I gave them a Bible, invited them to church. And I said, well, I sure appreciate you bringing, him, but, bringing them here, but I thought it was interesting that they didn't bring them to their church. There's a deacon somewhere else. Did you hear what I said? They didn't invite them to their church. I looked. I said, well, why are you inviting them here? He said, because I think they'll get saved here. But in my church, I don't. It's kind of dead. But they're going to get saved. And you know what? 
About two weeks, God saved the boy. God saved the girl. God saved the other boy. God saved the other boy. He called him to preach. God saved mama. God saved daddy. And guess what? The deacon went back and resigned his deaconship and came to join our church, amen, and said, I want to be where souls are being won, where souls are being saved, amen. I'm telling you, we need to be extending the church and seeing people get saved. We ought to be burdened about that tonight, amen. I don't want to just sit here and do nothing. Don't assume that people you come in contact with out there in the world just go to church somewhere. They may be wanting an invitation to come to the church that you attend. And when you invite them, make sure and come yourself. I've told this before, but I guess I'll tell it again. One of my dear families were Sunday morning only people. And they invited this family and said, Preacher, would you pray? Preacher, would you pray? We've been inviting them. We've been inviting them to come to church. And would you pray? And guess what? On a Sunday night, when they weren't there, their friends came and said, I'm looking for so-and-so. Where are they here? And I knew they weren't there. They're never there on Sunday. If they'd have come on a Sunday night, I'd have passed out and you'd have had to call 911. I knew they'd never come. And I said, well, I don't know, but I'll find out where they are. So when I got home, I called them. I said, listen, that family you've been inviting, oh, yeah, pray for them. We really want them to come to our church. I said, well, they were here tonight, and they were looking for you. And they said, what? Where were y'all the night your, your prayer was finally answered? Where were you at? Well, we were at Home Depot. There was a good sale on leaf blowers. And uh, we couldn't let this, it ended tonight, and we couldn't let this sale go. And I said, I hope it blows up. That's what I said. I said, I hope your leaf blower blows up. You know what it did? It blowed up. <laughs> they said, you cursed my, you put a curse on my leaf blower. I'm telling you something. Honey, I didn't put a curse on it. Anything you put before God is a curse to you. Are y'all okay? I'm trying to, no, I got one more. You should also commend your church. Now I just read it to you. The more you see the day approaching, you ought to be exhorting one another. You ought to commend your church. You ought to love your church. If there's criticism, let criticism come from the world, the devil's crowd, the unsaved from outside the church. But don't you criticize the church. Love the church. I need an amen right here, and I hope I get a bunch. The church is not perfect. Amen. Amen. As a matter of fact, it's a whole society of sinners that realized we're not perfect. And only one man is. And we call on the name of Jesus and ask him to forgive us and save us. Amen. It's, this is the only organization I know that you profess to be bad before you join. <laughs> I just confess I'm a sinner and get saved and then I join the church, amen? Well, why should you love the church? I want to read a scripture, Ephesians chapter 5. Why should I commend my church? Why should I love my church? Ephesians chapter, I know I'm not going to get through the message. Ephesians chapter 5. I, I thought this morning that the preacher might read my text. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 25. The scripture says, husbands, Love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. 
He, it's not the building that he gave his life for. It's the people. You, the church, are who he died for, amen? And we need to encourage one another and love one another and pray for one another. There was a family, a well-to-do family. Preacher had gone to see them and he noticed that they had a little dog. That little dog had a, a really fine bed to lay in. That little dog had these really nice bowls to eat out of and to drink out of. I mean, it had a whole corner full of toys and on top of that, a chest full of toys. And, and the preacher sat there and he said, you know what? He said, y'all must really love your dog. And they said, we do with all our heart. And he said, well, I'm just wondering a beautiful place like this. You don't have any children? I mean, you love your... And the woman just started crying just like this. She got up and walked out and the preacher said, Sir, I'm, I'm sorry I've upset your wife. I didn't mean... It. He said, Well, preacher, we had a beautiful little boy and that little boy, God chose to take him home at an early age with a cancer and he's dead and gone now and it just breaks her heart and the only thing we really have left of that little boy is that little dog over there. And that's why we love that little dog so. That's why it's got every toy. It's got every, it's got every bowl. It's got every bed. That's why it's got our attention because that's all we have left of the little boy that we loved. You know why I love this church? It's because Jesus loved it. I can't necessarily see Jesus face to face, but I can see the things right now that he loved. Amen. And by loving you, the church that he loves, I'm loving Jesus. Do you get me? Are you picking up what I'm laying down? Don't criticize your church. Commend your church. Love your church. Attend your church. Defend your church. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, there should be some personal examination. We need to examine what is it that we love. It's not college football or baseball that we ought to love. It's we ought to love the church, the things that Jesus loved. I go back to our text, how long I've been preaching. Number two, not only should there be a personal examination, but second of all, there should be a prayerful contemplation. To contemplate, that means to review, to think back. Now, from where you are tonight on this Sunday evening in August, would you just think back with me for a second how good God's been to you? Not only did He save you and make you one of His children, He adopted you and gave you a brand new birth certificate with the child of God's name all over it. But on top of all those things that he's done for you there, I jumped down to verse, uh, maybe like verse 15. He gave them bread from heaven. He brought, chapter 9, verse 15. He brought forth water out of the rock. He promised them that they would possess the land that he told them they would go to. Hallelujah. Verse 19. Yet thou and thy manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud departed not from them by the day to lead them in the way. Neither pillar of the fire by night to show them light the way they should go therein. Thou gavest 
also thy good spirit to instruct them. I can't hardly even see. And withheldest not thy manna from their mouth, gavest them water for their thirst, yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness so that they lacked nothing. You just look back from the moment you got saved. God said, I'm going to make sure that you lack nothing. Their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not. In other words, they had the provisions of God. God's taking care of his young and y'all. I'm sorry, but I just get tore up when I get to thinking about how good he's been to me. Just in saving me is enough, but how he's provided for my every need. When I look at verse 22 and 23, I see the promises of God. He says, thou gavest them kingdoms and nations. Verse 23, their children also multipliedest thou as the stars of heaven and brought them into the land. What about that? That's the promises of God. I could preach here all day. Look at verse 24 and 25. We see the power of God. He defeated all their enemies and gave them vineyards and olive yards and fruit trees. And they were filled and became fat. Verse 25, they delighted themselves in the goodness of God. 26, 27, and 28. Nevertheless, they were disobedient. They rebelled. Now we see God's patience. Has God been patient with you? Have you been a knucklehead spiritually and really loused up and messed up? Nevertheless, God's been patient with you. Verse 29 and 30, he even brought some punishments into their life to bring them around. And I'm trying to move forward. Verse 31, nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them, for thou art a gracious and a merciful God. You just review your past and how good he's been to you and how many times you've messed up and still God's been faithful and God's been good. There ought to be a prayerful contemplation where you look back. I look at chapter 10, thirdly, and I'm done. If we're going to be... People that are not forsaking the house of God, there must be a purposeful determination. I'm just going to jump down to verse 38 of chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 38. Because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. And our priests, our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. So they've made a covenant with God, a solemn covenant. Holy vow. In chapter 10, look at all those names. You can read them later. Tell me how to pronounce them. I'd appreciate your help. But all these people and many others, these families, make a commitment to God. And I begin to look in chapter 10 at verse 29. Their commitment, look with me. I'm done right here. Their commitment is to faithfulness. Verse 29. They clave to their brethren their nobles, 
and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his judgments and statutes. Here's what they're saying. We are going to live by the word of God. We're going to be faithful to the word of God. We're making a commitment to be faithful to the things of God. They also make a uh, commitment regarding their family. Verse 30 says, We will not give our daughters to the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. In other words, this is what they're saying, that our family is going to glorify God. We're not going to take our children and give them over to the world. There's a commitment to faithfulness to attend the house of God. There's a commitment that their families would be used as a blessing. The Bible says, be ye not unequally yoked together. Verse 31, if the people of the land bring ware or victuals on, or victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, we're not going to buy it. In other words, concerning their finances. I could go deeper into this, but let me tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Concerning your finances, is it a priority that you give to the work of God? First. Well, Preacher Darren, I really, little shorty, he had to have a new shirt, and I couldn't afford to tie because he, so in other words, we said earlier that if you are putting something before God, that it's going to have a curse on it. You're letting your child be clothed with a curse because you put that before God rather than trusting God to make it last long enough to buy the shirts and the clothes that they need. I promise you I found this out that if you'll give to God and put God first, He'll give you more than you need and more than you want. He said He said in Malachi, prove me now herewith. Bring all the tithes. I was preaching there and I was with you all the way until you talked about money. How big do you think that is? Three by five? Three inches by five inches? I'm six foot three and I weigh 225 pounds. And I'm a whole lot bigger than this little three by five wallet I hold in my hand. But for some reason, a six foot three, 225 pound man lets little three by five push him around and tell him what he ought to do. And it ain't nothing but the world in there. And he says, if you'll put me first, if you'll give, bring all the tithes, not part of the tithe, well, preacher dear and I give $20 every week. That means, I'm a math, math teacher, that means you're making $200 a week. That means you probably ain't going to make it. You've got a family, you need to come see me when the service is over because your employer is taking advantage of you. You've got a job working 40 hours a week making $200. We've got a problem. No, well, well, yeah, well, preacher, I should have put in more than that, but, but so, so you didn't trust God? No, 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 I, no I, I, I pray and I trust Him. But do you have faith to trust Him? 
Do you give according to the blessings that God's given you? Do you give by faith? I've learned this, okay? It's not here that I'm trying to get a big offer or anything. I'm just trying to help you. If you love what God loves, you'll put him first. You'll give to him first. And I promise you, he'll see to it that he pours a blessing out your direction. He gives you handfuls of purpose. He will make that what you have left, that, eight, that 90% you have left, 90% that you have left will last more than it would have if you'd have kept all 100. I, I, I've, Luke, I've lit, witnessed it too many times, son. I, I know what I'm talking about. And if you will put him first, I promise you, God will pour you out a tremendous blessing. In chapter 10, verse 39, and I'm done. We will not forsake the house of our God. Are we depending on somebody else to take care of it? Are we depending on somebody else to be here? Are we depending on somebody else to sing in that choir? Are we depending on somebody else to go to these Sunday school classes? These young people need to see mamas and daddies back in Sunday school classes. Boy, that went over like a lead balloon. But you'll thank me for the truth later, amen. I'm promising you, if you will put him first, he'll work out all the details. Billy Sunday, a great baseball player that got saved and became an evangelist full-time preacher. He tells of a time that he had a tent meeting. He was preaching in the tent meeting and uh, the service was over and uh, they were taking the tent down and a young man walked up to him and said, Brother Sunday, I, I really need to be saved. What can I do to be saved? He said, you're too late. He said, but no, you're still, I mean, I know you're taking the tent down. I know it's been up two weeks and having services twice a day, but I want to know what can I do to be saved? Brother Billy Sunday turned around and said, I told you, you're too late. People began to say, preacher, there he is. He's obviously, God's dealing with him and you're telling me he's too He said, he's too late because what needed to be done has already been done. If you do something you could do, you're too late. Jesus has already done it. He already gave his life on the cross. He already paid the price for his church. He was already buried and humiliated and mocked. He was already raised up over victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And if you're waiting on something you can do to make you feel better about you, you've waited too late. He wants you to live and to walk by faith. I'm asking you, church, preacher, you preaching this to the wrong crowd. This is to a Sunday morning. You need to attend your church. You need to defend your church. You need to commend your church. You need to get behind your church and encourage one another like you've never, ever done it before. I'm asking you, can you truthfully say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will not forsake the house of our God. You stand to your feet. I want to do something tonight. Seth, I want you to come and play. I'm going to ask you, if we're going to attend, we're going to defend, 
we're going to commend and we're going to extend this church out of these four walls that we're in. We're going to have to get to praying. And we're going to have to get God burdening our heart. When I thought about, what if everybody sang the way I sang tonight? What if everybody praised God the way I praised God tonight? What if everybody prayed the way I prayed tonight? What kind of church would Bethel be? What's convicting, isn't it? Tells me that I need to pray. And so, God, would you help our church? God, would you touch our Sunday school? God, would you bless our one-way program that starts up next month? God, would you help us, Father, in our school, in our missions program? You've got between 40, 50, maybe over 50 missionaries that you support in the church. We pray for them on every continent. God's blessed us with missionaries. And we pray for them all. And I'm asking, would you come? Would you pray? Pray. God's given you a little church, maybe. Your daddy, your mama, God's given you a little church. Would you pray? Come on right now. Father, as we bow our heads before you tonight, Lord, God, I convicts my heart the statement, we will not forsake the house of our God. Father, I look around and I see our nation tonight under attack from hell. Lord, I'm afraid there's a great falling away and a forgetting and a forsaking of the things of God. And it's got our nation in trouble. And God, because hell is on attack, God, we should pray and be more faithful than we've ever been. God, give us a burden for our churches, God. God, I pray you'd bless our sister churches. Revive us, God. Refresh us, God. Lord, would you send us people, Lord, that are hungry, people that are discouraged, people that are discontent, people that are in debt, people that need to be fed the Word of God. Father, their pews tonight that are open, God, in this church to receive new folks, God, that want to come and attend. Lord, I pray you'd help us as a church, God, to extend those invitations and open our arms and welcome in those, Father, that would join the work and build the wall for the glory of God. And help us, Lord, that we would not forsake the house of our God. We're asking your help tonight, Father. Lord, our flesh fights us. Our spirit wants it. God, help us to overcome, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.